In the first part of his letter, Jude reminds his readers that there were ungodly individuals who had crept into the church. And these individuals were under the judgment of God. They were ungodly. They presumed upon the grace of God and lived a life of sensuality. And they refused to recognize Jesus as their only master. And so Jude gives three examples as warnings to these individuals who claimed to be Christian but denied the only master, the Lord Jesus. He gives first the example of how God allowed his people who turned from him to die in the wilderness. Second, he gives the example of how God cast out and enchained the angels of heaven who overstepped their authority. And finally, he gives the example of how God rained fire and brimstone, uh, brimstone down upon Sodom and Gomorrah who chose to live in immorality. And so in verses 1 to 7, Jude reminds us that those who claim to be believers but do not recognize and live in the lordship and under the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives tread on dangerous territory. And he reminds us that believer, that the believer has only one master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and calls us to live surrendered lives to him and his purpose. Now, as we move on into Jude 8 to 16, he goes into more detail about these so-called professors of faith in Jesus Christ. So let's read from Jude 8 to 16 to see what he has to tell us about them. Jude 8 to 16. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by what they, like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their, all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Jude continues here in his description of those who had crept into the, into the church. 
He's already told us that these individuals denied Christ as their only master. So if Christ wasn't their master, then what was their authority? Well, listen to what we read in verse 8. Yet in like manner, says Jude, these people also relying on their dreams. Relying on their dreams. They had their own vision of what they wanted in life. They had a dream of how they wanted to live. And this personal vision, this personal dream, motivated their lives and drove their goals in life. Jude speaks of these individuals in verses 1 to 7 as being sensuous, that is, desirous of pleasing their, their flesh. And their dream, of course, was to please themselves and to live the good life, and we call it here the American dream. And that dream, however, was, was not from God. It was motivated by a, a desire to please themselves. It was a self-centered and godless dream. It was a dream that, however, shaped their lives. And in the church of Jude's day were men and women with selfish, sensuous, and godless dreams. And as we continue here to see his description of these individuals, we'll see how that dream shaped their lives and their actions. Let's read verse 8 once again. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh. The dream and vision these individuals had who had crept into the church of that day was, to, was going to lead them to defile their flesh. Their dream was to please themselves and to satisfy the lusts of their flesh and the temptations of their flesh. Now, does it surprise you that even in the church there were those who, who, fall, who fell into this temptation? Way back in the Garden of Eden, Eve was tempted by the lust of the flesh, that desire to eat the forbidden fruit to please herself. And our enemy knows the temptations of the flesh and its ability to cause us to fall. He watched David fall into the temptation of adultery. He's watched the defeat of all too many pastors, all too many missionaries, all too many believers into immorality and temptations of the flesh. He's watched those who have been destroyed and the destruction caused by drugs and alcohol. And all of this is so close to us as a church, even in our day. And Jude speaks here about a people in the church of his day who defiled their own bodies out of a lust for the flesh and the desires and the temptations of the flesh. Now Jude goes on to say that those who had crept into the church of his day rejected authority in verse 8. Now, this rejection of authority comes in many forms. There are those who openly renounce the authority of God in their lives, but others do so quietly by how they live. And Jesus tells us, of course, that we can't serve two masters. But if you do not surrender your life to Jesus Christ and his purpose, then you are denying his authority. 
If you find yourself using excuses for how you live your life rather than submitting to Jesus Christ, you are denying his authority over you. If you are compromising your faith, you're not walking under his authority. If you seek to explain away what God has made clear to you, you are undermining his authority. Those who submit to the authority of Jesus Christ don't justify their disobedience. Jude goes on to speak here about how those who had crept into the church were blaspheming the glorious one. And he uses the exa an example here in, in verses 8. Let's read what he says. And, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, Jude gives an example here of a case that's not found in the Bible. And the, and the record of this particular event in verse 9 is, is recorded for us in an ancient book entitled The Assumption of Moses. And in this book, it contains the supposed words of Moses given at the time when he was handing the leadership of the nation over to Joshua. And, and while the book was not accepted as part of the Jewish Bible, it's quoted here in Jude. And in this story of Michael the angel, he was given the responsibility to bury the body of Moses. And when Michael took the body of Moses to bury it, he was met by the devil who accused Moses of being a murderer and claimed his body for himself. Now, Michael, in response, did not debate with the devil over this, but chose to leave the matter to the Lord to address and what Jude is saying here is that when Michael confronted the devil, he refused to slander him or refused to say anything against him and just left all matters into the hands of the Lord. Now, what Jude is trying to communicate here is that there were people in, the day, in his day who blasphemed the glorious ones. These people were among the children of God. And to blaspheme in the, in the Greek language carries with it the idea of speaking with irreverence and disrespect. But it can also carry the sense of bringing reproach upon the name of the glorious ones. Now consider what the Apostle Paul has to say in this regard when he writes to the Romans in Romans 2 and verse 24. For as it is written, he says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so we can blaspheme the name we represent by our actions and our words. And Jude describes the people in the church who, instead of worshiping and glorifying the name of the Lord, they blasphemed it among the unbelievers. And the unbeliever knew them to be churchgoers who, who named the name of Jesus, but they saw their lives and heard their words, and those words and those lives brought reproach upon the name they represented. They blasphemed the glorious one. Now, Jude goes on to tell us that these individuals not only blasphemed the glorious one, but blasphemed what they did not understand. Verse 10, but these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all they that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. 
Now, after Bible school, I obtained a degree in religious studies at a secular university, and it wasn't long before I came to realize that for many professors, the human mind was the measure of all truths. If it didn't make sense to the human mind, it couldn't be true. And this, of course, was a day when logic actually uh, was elevated to a place of, of importance. And I came to understand that I needed to come to grips with the concept of faith. And faith, of course, is the evidence of things I cannot see. But for many in the university setting, faith was of no value. And Jude tells us that in the church of that day, there were many people among them who knew nothing of faith. They lived a, they lived a reasonable life. They, they did what made sense to their human mind. There was no concept of the eternal, however, in their hearts. There, there was no idea of a real God who, who led and spoke and comforted. Theirs was a religion of human effort and wisdom. Theirs was a faith that was reasonable and rational but had no power. Their God was no bigger than their own ideas of him. He, he was a God that could fit into their own mind, underst be understood and predicted. They mocked anything outside of that box and they worshipped an intellectual idol of their own making. In verse 11, Jude accuses these individuals who had crept into the church of walking in the way of Cain. Now, what was the way of Cain? Well, remember how he kills his brother because God accepted his offering. Cain was jealous and proud. He couldn't accept that God would accept his brother's offering and not his. Cain wanted to be right. He was the type of person who would say that God could not accept anyone outside of his group. We've seen this kind of people, and it comes in the form of denominationalism. We've seen brother turn against brother over which church they attend. We've seen it in terms of theological issues. We've watched sincere believers refuse to accept brothers and sisters of another persuasion. We've watched them slander each other in the name of Jesus Christ, and like Cain, they take up the sword to slay their brother or sister who dares to be different. Next, Jude goes on to say that the people who had come into the church had fallen into Balaam's error, verse 11, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Now, what was Balaam's error? Peter explains this when he says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Balaam loved gain from wrongdoing. He was willing to bend the rules if by doing so he could profit from them. Balaam's error was the willingness to deceive, compromise, and disobey if the price was right and the benefit was sufficient. Now, what would it take for you to compromise your faith? There in the church of that day were men and women whose faith was only as big as the temptations before them. 
Jude goes on to say that these individuals who had crept in to the church were like Korah in, in Numbers chapter 16, who led a rebellion against the authority of Moses and Aaron. These individuals wanted to have high positions of authority like, like Moses and Aaron. They were a proud and jealous people grasping for position. In, in Moses' day, of course, the, the Lord judges them and the earth opens up and, and swallows them for their pride. Jude calls these individuals blemishes in your love feast. Now, the love feast, of course, was a meal that believers shared together, and they would participate in the table of the Lord in these times. And these individuals who had crept into the church were part of those meals and enjoyed the hospitality, but their presence was an ugly stain on the meal. And from God's perspective, they were hidden reefs that would sink a ship. Their evil hearts blemished the sanctity of that meal. And more than that, their presence was a danger to the church like a hidden reef to a ship. In verse 12, Jude speaks of them as shepherds feeding themselves. Now, the shepherd was one who cared for the flock, but these individuals, however, were more concerned for themselves. Instead of feeding the flock, they fed themselves. They took all they could get, but left nothing in return. According to Jude, these individuals who had crept into the church were like waterless clouds swept by the winds. They gave signs of hope, but they were empty of any good. They offered no refreshing rain to the people of God. They were all show, but no support to the church. Jude goes on to say that they were fruitless trees. That's to say they produced no spiritual fruit. In fact, he goes on to say that they were twice dead, not just once dead, but twice dead. And they, beyond this, they were uprooted so that there was no hope of growth or fruit of any kind. They were spiritually dead. Next, Jude describes them as wild waves of the sea casting up their foam, the foam of their own shame. If you've ever seen a big foam-filled wave crashing up against the shore, you'll understand what Jude is saying here. These individuals were like those destructive waves crashing on the shore, and the foam of those waves was their shame, and they came crashing into the church like those, those waves spraying their shame and sin all over, and those who came in contact with them felt defiled. Jude describes them next as wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. A a falling star is plunging to its doom. Its light is burning out and it will soon be extinguished and plunged into eternal darkness. In verse 16, he calls them loud mouth malcontent boasters who showed favoritism to gain personal advantage, who grumbled when they didn't get their own way, and whose only true passion was their sinful desires. Jude ends with a quote from the prophecy of Enoch in verses 14 and 15. It is, 
It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy one to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in, in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And while the prophecy, of course, is not recorded for us in Scripture, to Jude it was nonetheless very true. God God was going to come and bring judgment upon these individuals for their blasphemy and their sin. Now, Jude begins by telling us that certain individuals had crept into the church unawares. The individuals that Jude describes here at great length were not very far removed from the people of, that he is writing to. They rubbed shoulders with them and were in their midst. The church even in the early days, was, was not perfect. There were individuals with, with whom the believers rubbed shoulders who had much to answer for before God. But understand, however, that, that we could take the time and, and examine these in greater detail, all these things that Jude describes in greater detail, and, and, and find traces of them even in our day, even in our own hearts. And before turning an accusing eye, we would do well to examine ourselves for any trace of what Jude speaks about here in our own lives.